Romans chapter 1. Now, some of you remember all the way back, all the way back to the year 2021. And in August of 2021, we started teaching through or considering on Sunday mornings together the book of Romans. We called it the greatest letter ever penned, more influence in the in history, and I believe in eternity, than anything else written. We called this series or this book as we jumped into it, we gave it a heading to help us think about what's being discussed here. We called it Rags to Righteous, which is a slight pun, slight change of the idea of a rags to riches story. It's better than that. The riches we have in Christ is better than that. We have a righteousness that comes to those who do not deserve it. That's the whole of this letter. And As we taught through it, we got all the way up through the middle of chapter 5. We have one more section of chapter 5 to get through to the end. And then we took a well-intentioned, a wonderful little break. You see, down through the generations, the church pauses right around Christmas time. It's a season called Advent. And so the Sunday after Thanksgiving, since then, we've paused. And it's been more than six weeks now since we've been in this letter. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take a little bit of a tour back through the main points the signposts of the book of Romans, the argument that Paul's laying out to get us right back up to speed. Maybe you're still a little foggy from all the food you ate over the holidays. Or maybe you're still whiplashed from the travel that you've done. Maybe you got so much rest over the break that you're not quite alive or alert, and I want to help us get back in shape for starting with Romans chapter 5, verse 12 next week. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these chapters a chapter at a time. Now, you know that we normally make it a practice to take a little section of the Bible and teach through it, and I'm going to do something that's a little bit different. Each chapter, we're going to put a heading on, and that might seem difficult, and it, uh, in some ways, it is. I remember back one of the first times that I got to, to teach regularly or consistently. It was a part of a, a ministry. It was a college gathering of people who wanted to worship, and actually, Pastor Zach was there. He was a part of this thing first. Him and his, one of his best buddies had started it, and They came to me at one point and they said, hey, would you ever mind come teaching? We have this gathering. It's a worship thing on Sunday nights. We'd like you to come and teach. We've run out of NUMA videos. And those of you who've been around a while, you may remember those. They said, you know, we ran out of those videos. We don't want to do videos anyway, so maybe you'd come teach. And that started what became a regular, consistent gathering of college students on Sunday evenings. And I was delighted to get to go and serve there and to teach regularly. I knew that I wanted to be a pastor for The rest of my life is what I was aiming at. So for me, it kind of felt like the little kid putting on the fireman costume. I got to go pretend to go to work, kind of. And one of the things that I would do often, I started one of the first regular times we got together, is that that fall and leading into the the next winter, every other year, I would teach through the book of Romans. I felt like it was so fundamental, so foundational to understand the gospel that I wanted it to shape what we were as a ministry. And here's one of the things that you had to do when you were going to try to get through the whole book on these evenings. I needed to look at the entirety of chapter 1 and say, what is this about? And then the next week we'd say, all right, let's go to chapter 2. Now let me tell you something that happens in the midst of that. We race by your favorite verses in the Bible, sometimes. And you're getting, everybody can be a little bit, feel a little cheated, a little robbed. Like you just rushed past my cross-stitch verse and I can't believe you don't see how significant it is. And I want to say up front, I agree. It's one of the reasons we teach through the book consistently, slowly. We've gone through, you could go back in the, in the annals of our sermon history and see, we've slowly gone through the book. But I also want to invite you to a different kind of thinking 
Sometimes it's helpful to take a bigger look, a step back and say, what are the main signposts here? How did we get logically to where we stand in Romans chapter 5? And so I remember my Bible at the time when I was going through and teaching this. One of the things I would do is underneath each chapter by the numbers there, I would think about, well, what word or just a couple of words would I put here that would encapsulate the entirety of this argument for the chapter? And I think that it sharpens a particular kind of thinking. I hope there's benefit in it. So that's what I want to do. We're jumping on the bus. We're going to take a a tour through the first five chapters of Romans. We're not going to stop at every stop. We've got a few choice ones in mind, and I'm going to help us think through these chapters with these words, okay? So I'm going to pen these out, and then I'm going to go back and think through because I believe they are the building blocks, the foundation for the argument that we must not miss in this book. Chapter one, I'm going to argue, is about one word, righteous, this idea of righteousness, the rightness of God. And there's a good reason that the book about the good news starts there. I love that the word righteous still has a good connotation. My parents' generation back in the day, that was used as a word for cool and great. You'd say, righteous, dude. So, a little cheesy. But I think when we get done to the end of Romans chapter 1, we're supposed to think about God and we say, oh, he's righteous, dude. Or whatever you want to say. He's righteous. That's got to be a thought that's with us. Second chapter It's going to be a contrast, one simple word, sin. You could also substitute fallenness or mankind is in chapter 2. That's what's in view. By the time we get to chapter 3, we're going to think about one word, exchange or substitution. Something given and then something received. That's what's happening in chapter 3. So, so far we have God the righteous, man the sinful, and then three, a great exchange Chapter 4, there's going to be one big heading over it. We're going to ask the question, how do we get in on this deal, this exchange? You may say to yourself, yeah, this deal sounds good, but I know about two deals that sound too good to be true. Let me tell you about deals. The whole system is rigged for the financially connected and well-heeled and politically empowered. The whole financial system's a scam, and you might think that, and I'd say, yeah, so? Just kidding. That was a financial joke. It landed well. The point would be, The point would be this. You might be suspicious and think, how do we get in on this deal? Do I have to be an inside trader or inside have inside information? And what chapter four is going to glory in is that the good news keeps getting better. Faith is the heading over chapter four. That faith is the entry point to favor with God. And then finally, where we stand, and I use that word intentionally because chapter five, Paul says, All right, we've gotten through these chapters, now we're standing somewhere. And you know where we stand? The word that he uses to summarize what's just taken place, you might want to put it in capital letters. You know when you're in Microsoft Word and you want to make something pop? I don't know what's your choice font, impact, or bold comic sans, or whatever you're using. You're going to put the letters G-R-A-C-E, because grace becomes the theme of chapter 5, and it's going to carry us through the rest of the book. So, let me read... I'm going to go back to chapter 1 now, and we're going to hit these high points, and I want to lay down the foundations of our understanding of the book of Romans. Chapter 1, I think there's no better couple verses to read than verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. I think it frames the entirety of his argument, so I'm going to read that, and then I'll pray for us. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's take a moment and and pray together. I'd invite you to to not only listen, uh, but to utter whatever you can of a, a desire to be unified in heart, in your mind, your body that we learn together. I know that I'm the one with a microphone and I'm up here and this whole setup's not very good for this kind of thing, but let's pray together in unity as, as God's people. I believe that He is present, He's with us, and He wants us to, to learn. So let's pray. God, You are other beyond us, far off, and You invite us to call You Father. May we not presume on the riches of your kindness in that this morning. We don't want to be presumptuous or indifferent to the fact that you're here, you're present, you're with us and for us. So God, I ask now that these words, this gospel you've given us in the book of Romans, that it would be clearer and clearer to us. Spirit of God, would you bless everyone who's gathered I pray that you would meet doubt and implant faith. I pray that you would heal wounds, that we would have a more authentic, sincere bringing of our whole selves to you, and we would find that you're there and that you're enough. I pray, God, that my words could in some small way describe the glory that is due you, especially in the message, the the work, the person of Jesus. I pray, God, for a softening, the things we've held back, where we're stubborn, where we're distracted. I pray that you would break through. And Spirit of God, where we are in need of comfort, bring comfort. But we're your people, and we're here before your word, and we're expectant. So God, speak. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Righteous. That is the theme that Paul begins with, and in many ways he starts with the idea of righteousness because it explains the entirety of the need for the gospel. It's why he says in Romans 1, 16, he's not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God. That's one thing he says. But then in verse 17, this is why he's not ashamed of it, because it reveals the righteousness of God. And in order for us to start out and to get out on a good footing, we need to see that it's a good thing that we have a more clear picture of God's righteousness. God is completely and utterly holy. He is the standard bearer of all things. He never, ever shrinks back from upholding a standard of perfection. And not the kind of perfection that we would even imagine. He dwells in a plane that is completely and utterly unlike us. The righteousness of God, who He is in His perfections, is the major fact over all creation. It is the unavoidable reality of the world that no matter how much we squirm or try to obfuscate We will one day stand before a perfect God and His standard will come to bear on us. His perfections, His righteousness is evident in all of creation. 
That's what Romans 1 says. There is no escaping it, that he has stamped himself into all that is. All that has been and all that will be, God is righteous over it all. It is the righteousness of God that explains Christianity, the whole message of it. It's God's righteousness that makes sin a big deal. It's God's righteousness that insists on punishing sin. It's God's righteousness that moves Jesus to fulfill the law perfectly in a way that we could not. It's the righteousness of God that insists on the shedding of blood to cover over the penalty due because of sin. Then, Paul even glories in, he says in the beginning of Romans chapter 1, he says that it is the spirit of holiness that raised Jesus from the dead. There's something about the righteousness of Jesus going into the grave that the grave could not hold him. A spirit of holiness raises him from the grave. Christianity's hope is that what we receive from Jesus is what we need most, which is a right standing with God. That one day, we will need to be clothed in Him more than we need anything else. Nothing greater on the Christmas list, no more desperation than the meeting with God one day where we would be melted by His complete and utter perfections if we were not clothed in Christ's righteousness. It is righteousness that we receive from Jesus when we receive Jesus. Then the hope of the Christian life is that degree by degree, and I mean these things are slow little degrees sometimes, we grow in righteousness. That's what God's Spirit does in us. That over the course of time, our hope is that we would would grow more righteous degree by degree. So it turns out that God's holiness is His key attribute. One of my favorite insults from God, and that's a strange statement to say. It feels like an insult. It's uh, not quite in line with the human insults. You know about the Martin Luther insult generator? Have you heard about this? So Martin Luther was apparently so prolific in writing and so prolific in enemies that there's an entire website devoting. You can just click over and over and over again about the insults that he hurled at those who disagreed with him. Sometimes, when you're looking through, it's as though God runs out of ways to describe how sinful we are. The prophets are like, well, here's what you're like. You're, a, you're like a prostitute, or you're like a little child, or you're like a sheep that's harassed and helpless. He's, he's just coming up with ways. And one of my most favorite ways, the most devastating way that I've found yet in the Bible, is one time through the prophets, God speaks, and he just says this, you thought I was like you. You thought... I was like you. In other words, one of the great temptations of humanity is that we think that God will grade on the curve. We think that He thinks like us in good enough terms. And it turns out that He does not. His holiness is a key attribute. What makes the gospel necessary? God's righteousness. It was pointed out to me once. It's an interesting thought. You know, the angels surrounding the throne. Every time we get a picture into the throne room, there's angels there and they're singing and they're declaring things. And it seems like they're always saying the same thing. Now imagine there's an attribute of God, something that he's like that could be sung over him eternally. There's a lot of things that could be said. You could see the angels there singing love, love, love. You could see them singing power, power, power. Maybe they're singing mercy, mercy, mercy. Those would be true things of God. But it turns out there's one attribute that the angels declare over and over eternally in God's presence. Holy, 
holy, holy, echoing through all of creation, the heavens resounding with the holiness of God. And in this chapter, Paul takes great pains to lift up for us what God is like in his righteousness. And it is in light of this that we get the contrast as we come to the end of chapter 1 and slip into chapter 2, the big heading over chapter 2, and that is unrighteousness or sin or fallenness or wrongness. And what's taking place in chapters 1 and 2 is the great contrast. Have like you ever taken a picture on Photoshop and you just turn up the contrast as much as you can? almost goes black and white. It's like, shh. That's the goal here. It starts out in chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 2 starts with these words. Therefore, you, if chapter 1 is about God's righteousness in light of that, therefore, you, he says, have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Then verse 12 of Romans chapter 2, Paul comments on all sinning. He says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 2, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So he establishes Gentiles, those who didn't have the law, well, what's their fate? Uh, They're sinning without the law, they'll perish. And he says in verse 12, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Okay, so there's some people who didn't have the law, they sin and they'll perish. Then there's people who had the law, they broke the law, they'll be judged by the law. Who's left? No one. There's lawbreakers everywhere. And Romans 2 says there is no excuse. The chasm has now been opened. Like the great ground opening, was it Korah's rebellion? The Old Testament, like the great ground opening, God on one side, and maybe a ground opening where one is lifted up, God on one side and humanity on the other. Man rightly judged according to his deeds. As much as God is right, man is wrong. That's what Paul says. Our motives, our actions, the verdict is that we are to be judged. Gentiles and Jews alike. And we are, if we're to get at the good news, we are to feel this need. That at the very core of us, one of the things that we discover is that it's very, very easy to sin. It's been famously said that the moment that we stop sinning, we're proud of having stopped sinning, which is itself a sin. This is a chasm that opens in the beginning of Romans. It's setting the stage for us to have a kind of longing. If we don't have a longing, if we don't realize, if we don't in light of God, then look at ourselves and say something's wrong here, then we've missed it. That's what's happening in Romans 1 and 2. The contrast that's being placed for us could be set in a number of different ways. It's God in one, man in two. It's right in one, wrong in two. It's creation in one, corruption in two. Those are the emphasis of these kind of themes of the chapters. And so, we ask ourselves, what hope is there? In chapter 3, there is a great exchange. 
The great good news injected, the first place that there is a, a relief of the tension that has been ratcheted up. If there was a chasm that was open, chapter 3 is about the bridge that is built between. Have you ever used the bridge illustration? Remember that illustration for evangelism? Like, oh, there's a chasm between you and, and man, and then God puts a cross down in there, like, like, like the bridge. There's a big trench in our backyard right now, and there's one side of our yard where the dog comes out of the back, and then another side of the yard where he likes to, there's no polite way to say, he just uses the bathroom, right? It's over there. And so I think, well, I'm going to be nice to my dog, Proverbs says, the righteous man has kind regard for his animal. So we go out there and we're making this as easy as you possibly could. I put down a bridge. I build a bridge over the thing, an actual bridge. Doing everything I can. I'm bringing him, holding him by a collar. I'm, I'm on the bridge. I'm showing him that it's safe. I'm tapping it. Look, it's wood. It's the whole thing. He hates the bridge. He won't use it. He's suspicious of the thing. He won't put a paw on it. He'd rather dive down into the trench, get all muddy and dirty, almost hurt himself and get back up. He won't use the bridge. I'm trying to show him the beauty and the wonder of the bridge. Look at this. There's a chasm, but you can get across. And I think to myself, this guy's a good example of so much of humanity. I just ignore the bridge. It's right there. They'd rather get down in the mud. I mean, I could cheese this thing up. But I'm telling you, chapter 3 is about this great exchange. How do we get across this? How does this function? How can man get to God who is perfectly holy and righteous? And so we read, starting in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This great deal, this amazing exchange, this substitution put forward to solve the tension, the problem between God and man. A great sacrifice, a substitution God moving toward us in Jesus so that He could pay the penalty due our sins, so that He could give to us what we need most, righteousness. What we bring to the equation is an admittance, a humility that says, I'm not all that I should be. You designed me with your image stamped on me, with a standard of right and wrong inside of me, but I have chosen my own devices we bring that God exchanges and gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus. What a deal. Almost a too-good-to-be-true kind of situation. What an exchange. What a substitution. And many would say that this is the heart of the gospel. This is the thing. This is the, the majorly the deal. Now, if you're having a conversation with someone and you're trying to get down to this, these might be helpful markers for you. I think every human being has to answer these questions. Every civilization throughout time has asked and pondered at these things. So you might, hopefully, you have more than five minutes, more than an elevator pitch. Maybe you have a good friend, and one day you sit down with them, and you just say something like, hey, you know, every civilization, it seems like throughout history, has some conception of a god, some other being, some spirituality beyond. What do you think about these things? Maybe you just talk about it and establish that God is and that He's righteous and you believe He's a standard for the world. It explains why we have a sense of right and wrong over things. So maybe you could do it in that way. But some might say, if you only have the five minutes, 
If all you got is a Snickers wrapper and a piece of paper to draw the bridge, you might be drawing chapter 3. You might say, here's the thing you can't miss. There is someone that has been exchanged for the penalty of your sins. He's given himself for you. This is what the message of Jesus is. You can have his righteousness if you would give up yourself and have him. So substitution is chapter 3. Now imagine that you sat down with someone and you gave them this exchange, this substitution, and they were a little suspicious, looking at you a little side eye. They're saying under their breath, sus, or whatever they're saying. Maybe they're saying, my mom taught me well. I know too good to be true means something's up. How do you get in on this? Huh? What do I got to do? What what do I got to give up? Where do I got to sign? What's the catch? And then chapter 4 comes along and says, oh yeah, I'll tell you exactly how to get in on this. The good news gets gooder. I'll tell you exactly how to get there. Chapter 4 is all about faith. It tries to convince any who would come and see this exchange that God has always and only ever allowed people in if they would just believe. That what you need to do is to simply look. The Bible is full of unbelievably simple and abandoning kind of illustrations for what it means to receive this righteousness of Jesus. Sometimes it just says look. Other times it says believe. Other times it says taste and see. Just open your mouth and just see. So Romans chapter 4 tells us things like this in verse 22. That is why his faith, Abraham, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Let me pause there at the beginning of verse 24. It's one of the most amazing historical statements in the Bible. Paul's telling us that God was working out your salvation all the way back in Abram. That when Genesis is being penned, He's thinking about the way that we would have access and entry in the same kind of faith. What an amazing God we have to work for us in this way. But it goes on. For ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What's being insisted upon here in chapter 4 is that faith is the way that anyone has ever had access to God. Now, here's the amazing thing about faith. It insults a proud human spirit. It insults it. Innately, those of us who think about faith and access to God in this way, innately we know that we've been cut out of the deal. You don't get much credit for simply looking. Somebody builds some extravagant bridge. You don't don't say, I I, I was a part of that too. Oh, what did you do? I I looked. I, I watched. That's kind of insulting. You'd rather get your hands dirty and do something. There's an entirety, like a history of civilizations, entire religions that in the face of faith have essentially said something to God like this. Oh, could you hold on? I know that whole thing about what you did in Jesus is fine. You just hold on. You're going to be impressed by this. Watch what I did. Look what I earned. Look what you owe me. And yet over and over the testimony of God down through the ages says, believe, 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 just look, just look, just look, open your hands, receive, open your mouth, taste. We get a little bit offended by faith. We're suspicious of favors. Something that easy. A couple months ago, we watched the first two episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies as a family, (laughs) which saying that out loud is something. But we... uh, 
We watched the first two episodes there on YouTube. I remember the show. I loved it when I was a kid. I'd watch it with my grandfather, and the tears of laughter would just come down his face, right? We'd watch it. But I'd never seen the origin stories. So if you want to go deeper with Beverly Hillbillies, there's some origin story there. And there's a really funny exchange between Jed and a guy who comes, and they've discovered oil on his property. You see, Jed doesn't know what he's got. He's already inherited. He's got all the riches. They're right there. He doesn't know what he's got, but he's suspicious of anything that could come so easily. So the guy says to him, did you know you have oil in your pond? And he says, he's kind of offended. He says, I know. I've been trying to figure out how to clean that up for years. Like, don't bring it up. And the guy says, well, we take it out of there for you. And then Jed says, I can't imagine how much that costs me. I can't afford it. And I says, no, 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 we'd do it for you. It wouldn't cost you anything. And his next thing, he's still insisting. He doesn't want to be cut out of the deal. He says, oh, I, don't take, I don't take any favors from strangers. I don't take any favors from strangers. See, he can't believe that this could possibly be true. And he's suspicious. He doesn't, he doesn't want to enter into an exchange so amazing. And it has to be spelled out for him in great detail about the riches that he has. And I think faith for a lot of people can be like that. Even when you start by faith, Paul says sometimes Christians slip back into works. They just don't want to believe that God could be this merciful. So chapter 4 is about faith. So far we have God and his righteousness, man and sinfulness, a substitution and exchange, and then how do I get in on this? Faith. And that leaves us getting to chapter 5. In chapter 5, I said pencil in there, stencil in in big block letters if you need to, G-R-A-C-E, grace. Because there's no better word that explains what we've just uncovered. What kind of word is powerful enough to capture a perfect God engaging out of his own love and care sinful people, offering them righteousness they didn't earn to be received just by faith, What word is big enough to capture this? And Paul says, let me tell you a word. Grace, unmerited favor. It's a summary of the entirety of the thing. Undeserved, unmerited, not impressive, and yet we receive. Verse 6 of Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. When? When you were impressive, when you were strong, when you'd done enough push-ups, when you cleaned yourself up? No, right while you were weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that, still sinners, Christ died for us. What word could capture all this? Grace. You see, grace is the marriage of two things. Unmerited, which must be reckoned with, But what if it was just left at unmerited? What if you stopped reading after chapter 2? What if you were inclined to Eeyore your whole life away? Always me, or whatever he says. I don't know what he says. You see, but it's a marriage. It's not just unmerited. It's a marriage of unmerited and favor, riches, glory, goodness, receiving good things. So this marriage coming together in one word means that we can and must admit with honesty, I'm just not living up to it. You know, that's the funny part. Most of us, we, have self, we are self-condemning. We don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's perfection. So unmerited means that we can freely say, oh, I didn't earn it. I couldn't do it. I thought I could. I couldn't do it. 
I wanted all the responsibility, and then I just wilted underneath it. I thought I could love well, and I just fall, up sh- I fall short all the time. I thought I could beat the sin, I just couldn't do it, I'm still entrapped. I'm a disappointment to myself, let alone other people, in so many different ways. I mean, there, there's a, that level of grotesque honesty in the gospel. But you don't stop there. It's married. It's a beautiful marriage in the word grace. A powerful marriage, favor. And at the same time, you could let yourself believe. Maybe open up for a little moment and say, you know what, but I'm received. I'm loved. I've been given power. I have righteousness. I have a standing with God. When God sees me, He sees Jesus. He doesn't treat me like an in-law or a temp worker. Maybe your in-laws are nice, but you know what I mean. Like, he doesn't treat you like a temp worker. God's not a, a father or a parent who's withholding his pride or his enjoyment over you, his approval. You don't have to show up at family Christmas thinking, oh no, what are they going to ask me about again? Just wishing and hoping. You see, when you get the idea of grace, it's unmerited, you admit it, but then you can revel in grace and in favor more than you ever thought possible. Do you know that God is not dependent on your performance? Do you know that He loves you with an undying affection because you're in Jesus? Do you know that when you came today, this was not an attempt to impress Him, to work up enough of His attention that you'd finally get approval? Do you know what you have in Jesus, even though you don't deserve it? Do you know that you got all of this while you were sinners? That's exactly the people that He loves. Did you notice who ran to Jesus when He was living? All the people who are most in need. And there's such a freedom in this word. That's what chapter 5 is about. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but you know what the next section of Romans 5 is going to end up with? It's going to be this phrase that says that grace is going to reign through righteousness. Grace reigning. Now, grace is a lovely part of our church, too, and she probably thinks that's cool to reign as well, but this is the word grace, the concept race, the concept of grace reigning. What wins in the end? Well, grace, that's what the Bible says. Why is Paul so excited to tell us this? Well, because we ultimately have a favor that was undeserved. And then here's the thing. The moment you try to earn it, The moment you try to earn it, the moment you insist, no, let me do my part, now it's no longer grace. Now it's a wage. So here's the hope from here on out. We've established the the foundations. It's God and His righteousness and man and His sinfulness. And it's this great exchange and it's accessed by faith. And I hope that the rest of the book of Romans makes you cry out again and again, oh, grace, yes, grace, What do I do when I'm entrapped in sin? Grace, where's my hope for slow sanctification? Grace, where's my understanding of how it is that I'm in Christ and someone else is not? Grace, what happens to Israel who rejected him? Paul's confidence in grace. What do we give to one another when we screw up and we're mad at each other? Grace, it's the rest of the book. When I was in late high school, I read a couple books by an author. His name's Philip Yancey. If you look him up, he's the most Bob Ross look-alike kind of author guy you've ever seen. Just a beautiful afro. So Philip Yancey was a writer that I enjoyed. He came out with a book, and I remember getting it. 
You know how sometimes in life, I mean, God's the one that does the work, but sometimes in life you feel like he uses particular things to just wreck you? Maybe wreck is too modern of a hip word or something to inform your habits or whatever you'd want to say, however sophisticated you are. Well, I remember this book was one of those moments. I read a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? I remember thinking, hmm, interesting title. I wonder how I'd answer. And in it, he glories in the idea that this word grace has been maintained as something that is still appealing and wonderful. Other words like charity have been spoiled, he says, by the English language, but not grace. So he goes on and he says this. He said, perhaps I keep circling back to this word, this idea of grace, because it's one grand theological word that has not been spoiled. I call it the last best word because every English usage that I can find retains some of the glory of the original. He goes on in different chapters to give examples. When we say the word grace in English, it still means something good. Grace before a meal or a gracious performance or a gracious receipt of a gift. He says grace is like a vast aquifer. It's a word that underlies our proud civilization. It reminds us the good things come not from our own efforts but from, a, but from the grace of God. And even now, he says, even now, this is his his idea that what the world wants most, whether they would say it out loud or not, what the world wants most, he says, even now, despite our secular drift, tap roots still stretch down deep toward grace. That what an exhausted, performing, backbiting, judging, condemning, disappointed world wants most, they're they're longing for, they're reaching for the life of unmerited favor given to us by God. So this idea, maybe it's helpful to you to have some signposts. I know we didn't stop at every verse. We hit kind of a greatest hits, which are always the best albums anyway, right? We kind of hit the greatest hits a little bit, but you should have some idea in your mind, how would I describe this? What is it that I'm hoping in? What would I ask someone to believe if I asked them to come with me in trusting Jesus? You might say something like this, God is perfectly righteous, and though we're sinful, He exchanged Himself for us, and we can have His righteousness if we would trust Him and believe in Him so that the favor due Him is ours. Let's pray. God, I ask that You would help us. We don't want We don't want just church experiences or just church words. We want life. So I pray that you would reveal yourself in your righteousness to us again. Thank you for being a perfect judge of the world. God, I ask for boldness and courage. We have withheld often. We don't want to fully admit the depth of our sin. We don't want to face Sometimes the pettiness or the anger or the discontent, we call it by different words. Help us to be more honest with our needs. God, I pray that we would see for all that it's worth the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what you gave us in him. Thank you for exchanging yourself. Thank you for a righteousness we could not earn. I pray, God, we'd believe these things this morning and that the first word 
the best word that we have to offer the world is grace through Jesus Christ. We ask in His name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We have a, a member meeting right after the service here, so it'll start maybe like a minute after Brian benedicts us. But before we hear a couple things and get a benediction from Brian, why don't you stand with us, and we're just going to sing, sing the doxology. And Tori's here, yeah, and Daniel's not. I can do it, yeah. <laughs> okay. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly few reminders about some things happening in the life of our church after, uh, uh, before we do the benediction. First, obviously, we're going to have a church meeting right after this service, so if you're a member, make sure you stick around, and it uh, should take about 20 minutes to an hour and a half. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, we'd love to, it'll be a great time of Q&A, talk about some things, exciting things happening in our church, some updates uh, regarding uh, the life of our church. So please stay after this service for that. Also, come back tonight for Sunday Night Church, 530. We're going to have a meal together. Uh, we're going to have some teaching, some singing, some Q&A as well. So if you've never been to Sunday Night Church, this is a great time to get involved in it. We're starting it up again, and it's a great time of fellowship. So I encourage you to come by again here at 530 tonight. Also, college night is starting up again tomorrow night at 7.30 at the Four Oaks offices. So if you're a college student, we'd love for you to join us. We're actually going to have pizza at 7. So if you want to come early at 7, we'll feed you food. So uh, you can get in on that. But again, if you're a college student, college night tomorrow uh, for our study on Deuteronomy. That's what we're going to be studying. And finally, women in the word. We've been talking about this the past few weeks. This is sort of like a mini gathering conference type thing for the women of our church. We're going to hear from women in our church talking about themes in the Bible. The, the theme that we're really focusing on is reverence. What does it mean to have a reverent attitude towards God? So uh, if you would like to be a part of that, just mark out January 29th on your calendars, and we're going to have more information about it in, a few, in the coming weeks. So check your emails. It'll come to you with that, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good showing for that as well. That's it for the announcements. Please receive this benediction. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. You're sent.
got me awesome you guys hear the sound of great conversations and people connecting well that's got to hush that's what I that's got to stop we'll get we'll get going like in the next you know 10 15 seconds if that's cool <clears throat> thanks for taking time to stick around for a minute I have been uh, I've been assured that the, the kids are well taken care of well hydrated snacked snacked up actually I don't I don't know any of that but We'll be good, and we'll get out. We'll get out quick. I promise it won't be too, too, too long. All right. So a couple things uh, that we're gonna we're gonna talk through. One, uh, I want to talk about some things to rejoice about. Second, I want to give an update, and then third, I'll just use the word pray, pray or prayer, something to pray about. So first will be uh, a few things to rejoice in, then an idea of an update, and then something to to pray about. So the last time. Let's see, we got together at some point in 2021, but uh, I, I wanted to give a little bit of a recap. You know, we just finished uh, the end of what's essentially the first half of a fiscal year. So we ended December, we're starting out now in a new year, and there is a lot to be grateful to God for. I am often cared for well by people in the community or friends that I have. I even happened over, over New Year's, I was with my brother-in-law, and people sincerely want to know, like, how are you doing? How's the church? Are people Okay. You guys, and, and a lot of times I think there's a wonder or maybe a fear that there's going to be some horror stories, you know, some things that come out, and I'm so grateful. There's a lot of things to rejoice in. So a few things to think about. We just came through 2021, which is a very difficult year. Uh, we were thinking about what we were going to be able to do in ministry. Um, last spring, I think we are probably all hopeful that COVID would be dead and gone, and well, that's a laugh, so we know that that's not quite there, but uh, we have some things to rejoice over. So First and foremost, somehow over the last uh, couple of years, even through 2020 and 2021, people have managed in one of the most difficult times in history to meet in person or to be found, have managed to find us. And we've been able to add, I think I lost count in, last, in 2021 after two dozen new members uh, just in last year alone. So the fact that we have already built relationships and have people that we love dearly and are connected to the church, even in such a difficult time, is really a wonder. It's a gift. Uh, we get to introduce and talk about and, and interview uh, new members regularly, and the fact that's still happening is a blessing. It's a win. Uh, those of us who've been around a while, people ask about attendance. Are people back? Are they able to come and gather together? We are back within, I think, about 5% of what attendance was prior to pandemic, which is a very, very gracious thing. Uh, it's not a, a norm across church landscapes, so that's something to massively rejoice in. Uh, I mentioned that we just finished the first half of the fiscal year, and a couple of things. The general fund for Four Oaks Midtown, our church's general fund, is right now at the strongest point that it's ever been in the history of, of our church, which is, again, an unbelievably uh, gracious thing from God. Uh, he's been generous, you've been generous, we've been kept together in the midst of that. More than that, 
Last spring, we're trying to figure out a budget year, and you know how it is with COVID, right? You, just plan, you can't plan anything. No matter how excited you are about something, there's always a little boogeyman there that's like, if COVID lets us. And it kind of felt like that, putting forward a budget year and trying to figure out what's going to happen with it. So we get through the budget that we put in, and at the end of December, through six months of it, we are 10% over expected giving and revenue for the year. So more than, God has provided more than what we had set out um, to, put, uh, to put in. Can you guys hear that? I don't think it's us. <laughs> Everybody's running. It's good. They solved it. They solved it. So uh, there are, uh, the point is there are things to rejoice in and there's a lot of business things going on, right? Life of the church has a lot of business stuff, and I don't want to gloss over the fact that God has been kind to us, that we as his people have still received so many good things uh, from his hand in the midst of this, and I want to make sure that we focus on and continue to think about that uh, sort of stuff as well. And the Bible, I think, makes it clear. You know, it's funny, there's a command in Scripture. If there's anything true, pure, lovely, beautiful, of good repute, he says, dwell on these things, think on them. Which is funny because he doesn't have to say, if there's anything worth worrying over, if there's anything kind of disappointing, anything frustrating, dwell on these things. Isn't it funny he doesn't have to command us to do that? That just comes natural. But he commands us to take time and pause and think, what's worthy of praise? So these are some things that are worthy of praise. Uh, A couple of other uh, things then, just as an update. So that's worth rejoicing over and there would be a million more. A little bit of an update. Last time we got together in a meeting like this, we did so because we were in conversations with and we're starting to have some ministry partnership with East Hill Baptist Church. I don't want to bury the lead. I'll cut straight to the chase. About a month ago or so, maybe a little bit, yeah, about a month ago, we, we were dear jawned by, uh, by East Hill. <clears throat> That's the way that I would say it. It's what it felt like to me. We've affectionately talked about church relationships in some courting kind of things sometimes. And uh, about a month ago, I had a sit-down meeting with Pastor Dan from East Hill, who's become a good friend, a great guy, he's super gracious. Um, but after about a year of us discussing with them and them having conversations about all kinds of possibilities, maybe we'd lease there, or maybe we would share ministries together, um, who knows what God could do and that kind of thing, they eventually got to the point where through a couple of different church meetings felt uncomfortable pressing forward with anything. And so he kindly sat down with me and informed me of what was, uh, what was up with that situation. And... Uh, I thanked him and said, of course, well, I'm a little bit discouraged. I'm a little bit disillusioned. I thought like, well, I didn't know what was going to happen here. So if you feel some discouragement in that, I'm with you. And I know what that's, I know what that's like. Um, it, was, uh, it was a possibility that we felt was very, very worth pursuing. And it seems like at this point, for whatever reason, God said, why don't you hold? So that was about a month ago or so. The second thing we said in the fall that we were pursuing another building option. And that is right where we sit. This property that we've worshipped in now for eight plus years, I think 2022 is the ninth year that we will have worshipped together in this room. It's pretty significant. It's amazing. And what we had said was that we were contemplating purchasing here. There's a lot of hurdles in, in this. One was the willingness of the current owners. They had not been willing for a long time. In March of 2020 or April of 2020, right when COVID hit, we had reached a purchase agreement with them. City restrictions as well as COVID made us wait for a little while. And so we were curious. We didn't really know the willingness of our landlords, our, our landlords to sell. Second, price. What they were willing to sell for was 
uh, was a stretch. It was a stretch over what it was worth. We had an appraisal done, and we had come to the conclusion and praying through it that there was a, a certain percentage that we just knew we'd have to pay as a premium to, uh, to be here. And so we had come to a purchase agreement with them of $900,000 on this property. And um, we were still unsure thinking about the investment of the cost here. Another thing that was in view was city permitting and restrictions. So what we first heard about this property was it's out of, it's non-conforming. You can't do anything. If you change a light bulb, once you own it, we're going to fine you. And they didn't really say that, but it sort of felt like. We have since got clarification. Uh, Monty was gracious and helped us with some sketches and drawings, and we navigated some of the city process. It would be possible for us to develop here in some ways. We think it might be expensive. We're not sure exactly what we build, but it could be possible. And we got to the point in the fall where we said, after receiving a letter from the landlords, that they wanted us to, to tell them if we were going to buy or not, that we would proceed forward. So we crossed the T's, dotted the I's, got the new paperwork, signed the thing. I met for lunch with Pastor King. I set it across the table. And to my surprise and our surprise, they said, we're no longer willing to sell. And we don't know what we want to do. So within the span of a week, in the span of one week, I have the Dear John conversation with Pastor Dan, and I have the lunch with Pastor King, and it seems like in glaring neon lights, God is saying, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying something, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, I'm still in the, I'm at the optometrist, and they, I think, you know, I'm hoping the spirit is still doing those little things. Clear now? Clear? Is that, I mean, I still see the main things. I mean, the gospel's still there. That's the big E. Where he's still providing for us. The church is not a building. It's his people. So that's all there. But there's some fine print here I'm trying to discern. That's the updates. And I wish that I had you know, more exciting news. I wish I'd come back and I said, here's the deal. Uh, we're moving to East Hill next week. Plus, we own here. And there's seven new ministries starting and whatever else. But God has, for some reason, seemed to say, uh, you're going to have to wait. Like, just to pause on it. So a second option would have been here to renew a lease which had been in negotiations since we were trying to purchase. And they have said, we don't want to renew a lease with you either. We want you to stay there, but we don't know. So they don't know if they want to sell, and they don't know if they want to lease, and it's been a little bit of confusion. So it's not vindictive in any way. I don't feel harmed by them. There's still a, a desire. I feel very, very grateful to be able to continue to worship here, but it's been confusing, I would say that. It's been some confusion on that side of things. So that's the updates there. I'm going to have time for Q&A at the, at, the uh, at the end of all this. So if you got stuff, please get ready for it. Um, third thing, ready? I said uh, rejoice. I said update. I said pray. So, well, you should pray about all that stuff too. But here's another, an additional item to pray about. So a week after I sat down with Pastor Dan uh, with East Hill, uh, I get invited to a coffee there had been a local church in town that reached out to Four Oaks and said, would you be willing to sit down with me? Because our church has been praying for the last four to five years. Uh, we're at a healthy spot. We have unity. We feel energized for ministry, but we've dwindled. We're a little bit older. We don't know if we can continue. We have a wonderful church property that could probably um, function for a church of four to 500 people. We think it would be positioned to impact the kingdom in a much greater way. And we've just been praying. And we would love to see if God could maybe bring a younger uh, healthy, strong church that we could join up with to do ministry. And so at first, right, I'm sitting across the table at Lucky Goat, and I'm having this coffee, and I'm gobsmacked. I think that's the definition for it. I was just uh, stupefied. I'm like, what? It felt like a troll conversation to me. I thought he was going to laugh and be like, I'm just kidding. I knew about the East Hill thing and, you know, whatever else. 
I, got, I didn't know what to make of it. Um, and so I told him that. I'm like, I don't know what to make of it. Um, I appreciated his humility. I felt like a lot of the things that he was trying to say would have been the sort of things we were praying about and trying to get to over the last year plus in conversations. So I had a lot of, you know, respect initially um, for them. A couple of things to, to keep in mind, and I'll tell you the church and that kind of thing in a, in a minute, but I didn't want everyone to go to Google immediately while I was talking, right? So a couple of things. The church property and building, and this is not a small thing, this is like the lead thing, it is not in Midtown proper, geography-wise. So whatever Midtown is, this mystical place in Tallahassee, whatever actual geography it is, whatever neighborhoods it represents, whatever marketing term it is, uh, property is not in Midtown proper. And so initially I think, well, thanks for talking with us, we'll pray for you, but what does that mean? Because we're not, that's, that's not us, not our identity and it's not even the kind of thing where we could keep that word in, with a straight face, honestly. I remember when I was a kid, there was a new hotel that was built in my town. And uh, this hotel's going up, and everyone's curious about it. What is that? What is that? And then they unveil the name. It's Lakeview Hotel. Now, my town, there is not a lake for 100 miles. And this hotel is like the laughing stock. <laughs> what kind of Lakeview? Let alone, I can't imagine the false advertising or how mad you'd be if you booked the Lakeview Suite or something and then... It was a mall. There's a a Sears across the way, right? And so I would feel a little bit like it would be that. I mean, it's just not there. So that is a conundrum. Now, when I'm saying things like this, and even the next few updates that I'm going to give, this is new to the point where we have listened to them and talked with them twice. Uh, There might be some leadership books somewhere that says, you know, you probably shouldn't, this is like the most half-baked idea in the world. This is like you got your guests and you just bring out some ingredients and say, there might be a meal here. You know, you should be more uh, guru or planned about this. And so it's a bit of a risk. And I think it's a worthy risk, and this is basically why. Because we're praying about these things, and we're trying to discern, well, what does this mean? What will we say no to? Maybe it's just a curiosity. Maybe it's a a rebound thing, or I don't know what it, you know, I don't know, or what is God saying and what should be said yes to, and we're members in this together. So there is going to be a number of questions that you're going to have from here forward to say, well, what's the next step, and when, is it, when would this happen, or what is this, or how does that work, or how does this look, and I'm just going to have to say, well, I don't know. We have some ideas we've thought about. I don't know, but you should be praying and you should know the conversations that we're having, and you should be a part of them. We're, we're together and members in this process. So we had to have the meeting to give you the update on East Hill anyway, and it would have seemed odd or dishonest to be like, not mention, oh, also, by the way, there's this other conversation going on. So that's, that's where we're at currently. Um, one of the meetings that we had, Brian and I got together with, uh, with the pastor from there. Uh, he wanted to make sure that we talked through doctrine and theology statements and stuff, and um, it's a Presbyterian church. I'm just, it's called Covenant Presbyterian Church. It's off Bainbridge. They have the Westminster Confession of Faith, and so he wanted to go through, and we had a theology conversation. Um, they are they're very aligned with us um, theologically. I think doctrinal statements and stances are about as near as similar as you could possibly get. Um, we, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what else to, what else to say. We've sat with them and heard their story, heard their testimonies. They've asked us some questions, and that's kind of where it's at. Um, 
the church property, I toured the church property and brought staff. It's a beautiful, beautiful property. It's on like eight or nine acres of land. There's a sanctuary that would probably seat 400, three to 400. There's classroom space. They've run a VPK out of there. There's a great fellowship hall and office space. I mean, it's a, it's a very usable, traditional looking sanctuary. I mean, it's not it's a nice, nice place to be. The thing that I'd said jokingly with staff when we walked through them there is apart from the location, which has me, had me tripping and still does, um, if, if someone had called me and said, hey, come look at this place, and it was on Beard and Ingleside in Midtown, I would have, uh, I would have given my sister's kidney for it. And I have her kidney, so I could do that. <laughs> I could actually, I'm in charge, I'm in charge of that arrangement. But it, it's legitimately, Sarah, sorry for joking about my health. But uh, the, hey, so it, it would, I mean, it would definitely fit. So, so that's that. I don't, did I miss anything else? Larry or Jeff or Brian or staff that are around? Susan and Brent? All right, so questions, thoughts? Mr. Pope. Yeah, uh, someone in the first service asked this question, and they said, they said, do you have a plan for what Four Oaks Homeless will look like? <laughs> Not Four Oaks Midtown. Uh, I, we've talked through, like, all the basics, and I've, I've run through the gamut of, well, what does that look like if we have to go to an elementary school? Uh, Four Oaks existed for 17 years as a mobile church, so there's a DNA and a history of saying we'll make it. It'll be okay to meet in a cafeteria or a school. I desperately don't want that to happen. I mean, honestly, I think I'm holding on for dear life, that that's not the, uh, not the thing. We, we're not yet at a point where I, I think I'm, I feel like we're in danger, as though they're going to bar the doors on us or something, something here. Um, so no, I wouldn't say we have like a solid five-year plan. We've just talked through a few of, well, what ifs. That would be terrible kind of stuff. But that's a great, great question. The lease, it's up. We're, uh, we were negotiating lease last year when we were going to sign a contract to buy. So that's what makes it a little bit odd where they've said, we don't want to sign a lease, but we're not going to come back there, but we don't want to sell it. So everything's just kind of on hold. Um, so this question was asked as well, and here's a couple of things. There's a relationship-based thing here where they've said numerous, numerous times that we're not going to put you out as a church. We're not going to, like, throw you out on the street. We'd give you a heads up. We'd communicate that kind of stuff. And I, I trust that there's a relationship there built. It's enough. Though it's been a little odd and confusing, and that's honest, uh, I don't feel there's vindictive in any way. So that's one part of it. The other thing is, and I don't think this is a very Christian setting kind of thing, but even though we have a month-to-month -month lease, I think we have sort of tenant rights in some way that I mean, I'm not going to bring a lawyer to our lunch, you know, and say, hey, just so you know, I know that you can't X, Y, Z, but I think that if, if it came to that, there would even be some rules to follow with that sort of thing. But, but yeah, you're getting at it. I mean, we're, we're in a very weird, strange spot. I found a, a journal um, a couple days ago, and on the front page of it from like three to four years ago, I wrote in the front three things that I wanted to give a couple of years of my life to and things I was praying for, and I got this little list. Number three is secure a permanent home for Midtown. So I think I have to resign or something. I don't know. <laughs> like my, my prayers aren't working or something, but good question. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, this isn't like we're going to announce on Wednesday of this week. We have to worship somewhere next week. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a buffer. It's not that urgent yet. Stay tuned. Go ahead. I don't know. Yeah. No, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. <laughs> it's going to be a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, David Schaefer's going to open a new Chick-fil-A here, yeah. Yeah, I think these are the kinds of conversations that we haven't nailed down. What I've told our elders and what I've told Rick, and this is even from the East Hill side, I mean, of course I can have ideas about these things and I can like press stuff forward, but I, I, in another way, have this weird professional reality where I'm pastored by our group of elders and orchestrating that kind of stuff is hard. So I don't think I'd ever officially say, oh yes, this is what I'm going to insist. This is, going to be, this is my role. This is how I'm always going to do that kind of stuff. I mean, if you ask my opinion, I sure like to preach and I think it's good for us, but um, I, we haven't nailed that stuff down. So the first conversation we had was theological, like, well, what does this even go? And we would probably need like 15 more conversations where we hashed out, what does this even mean for who, who's on staff and how do you envision yourself? I've gotten together with Pastor Rick a couple of times, and I mean, I enjoy him. We've had good conversation, but yeah, I think there's a TBD on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. So it was asked earlier, assuming both were the possibility, right? So if, we, yeah, we could buy here, that's great. And man, covenant. I think that on the covenant side, there's a lot of hurdles that I would need to trust God for us to get over. Um, first, I think it's a question for us. What does location mean? I mean, it's, a, it's slightly, it's less than two miles from where we are right now. It's not you know, Midtown proper, whatever that is. It's a different, um, one of the things that's been helpful, Bill Maddox has called it a kind of a, it's a different psychographic makeup, like the demographics and the geography is a little different, but it's more just a different, we'd have a different opportunity in ministry, honestly. We'd, we'd be positioned a little bit differently for the, for the city. So that hurdle, I would need to, it need to, and I think we would all need to say, yeah, God's opening a door here. This isn't, a, we're not fleeing or a door's not being shut. It's a different door being open that we're walking through. So that's one thing. I mean, I think there's a million detail questions. Staff and leadership and doctrine and philosophy of ministry and there's legal questions. Are we just signing a lease if we go? How sure should it be? So it's hard for me to ask the what do I want to happen on the covenant side because I feel like we're still a lot of conversations away and I would need or I would want peace in, in a bunch of different areas, you know? that I'm not quite there. But let's just assume for a second. If you fast forward and all these questions have been asked, answered affirmatively, and it seems like, wow, I don't know why, but God's given us peace. I think we could do ministry there. I think whatever. It, it's appealing to not put $3 million into the ground here, but instead have resources freed up for ministry and mission in the future. Um, I mean, I think that's... What the building is there now is what we would probably want to build, at least size-wise. I mean, we'd make it nice, but size-wise, it's nice. That was a weird comment, but. Um, so I think that would be appealing. And I, so I think if you prayed, 
I think the first prayer is, God, make it clear, make it evident, right? Get the right dermatology, little eyeglass clickers in place so that we can see. And then I feel like once I could see it, then I'd, I'd know pretty easily where, where we should go, if that makes sense. Hey, Mike. Yeah, that, this is what we've been forced to ask and answer, Mike. It's great. I know. I, you're right. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably more we're tripping up on. The geography, I think I could make the case and say, well, it's just right over there. It's a street and a street. But I think what's interesting about where people live is, I mean, I don't know how many of you hang out over there any, anyway. There's a lot more access to FSU, but it's, it's a different, it just feels like it's like a different, um, it's like a different region within Tallahassee. Now, I am absolutely, if you would have asked me what I would have wanted, I would have loved for us to have our permanent thing figured out two years ago. This thing opportunity comes up, and I'm like, yes, let's multiply. Let's, let's, go, let's go help. Let's go send someone. Let's send. So it's not outside of it for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is exactly the kind of responses that I'm, I'm curious to hear, see what people think. I mean, I can tell you, I, I've taken very serious through the years the idea that we were a local church and, you know, like, I didn't know, and now we're being forced to ask, yeah, what did Midtown mean? So here's the thing. I want to be close-handed with what God called us to and say, this is what we're about, and the last thing I want to do is just get distracted by some shiny thing. Oh, building, you know, or something like that. But I don't want to have it turned out that it was an idol, that it was some idea that I had about what we were. So we're wrestling with those things. Other thoughts or questions? Monty. encouraging, Monty. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be, uh, I mean, it's not how I envisioned it at all. I mean, really, I'd like it to be much cleaner and simpler. I'd like to have perfect clarity. I'd like to have the man of God syndrome. Like, you visited me in a dream, folks, and here's what happened, and it's over. You know, don't worry about it. It's done, and that's not where we are. So, you pray for sanity, for for us. Any other thoughts?
I know you've been here a little while and we got kids to pick up. Yes, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there could. Well, I think one thing right up front: any change is difficult. So I would anticipate that no matter what, if we moved across the street over there, that some of us would get unsettled in some way, and say, you know what, it turns out I'm not going to go with, or I can't come, or I just don't know. I, I'm, any change will impact who we are and what we're doing. So I don't know exactly what percentage, but that's in there, right? That's some of the concern. Oh boy, this is change. How is that going to be managed and, how, and how's it going to work? Second, I think that there could be um, a perception that some of what we planted and started here is now being abandoned because we were Four Oaks Midtown and if you can just leave, why did we come here in the first place? And there are so many, do you know how many people in our church really intentionally walk streets through here and pray for people? They've moved into the neighborhood, they walk to church, I mean, they see this as sort of like, this is who we are. And I want to really treat that carefully with a ton of respect. I mean, on one hand, I could say, well, where the church building doesn't change your mission with your neighbors or where you work, that should continue. On one hand. On the other hand, I could say, no, but being a local church matters. And I'm so grateful that you love to have a church where you live and work and play. I mean, that's, that's great. You know, that'd be the desire. So that concern... I, I just to, to hear like, well, how does that function? What did Midtown mean when we came? And, you know, that kind of thing, that could be a concern. Um, oh, those are probably the two big ones. Yeah. I think those have the most merit. What does change mean and how's it managed? Period. And then what did Midtown mean with mission and would it change our mission in a significant way? To the negative. I think we'd have all kind of mission opportunities, but would it change this to the negative? So that's and any other worries or concerns are probably just neurosis or my own issues. So I won't bring those up. But yeah. Yes, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, we had not looked outside the radius up to this point. Just doggedly holding on. This is our geography. To the point where we have shaken down almost every property in the whole area. I mean, I've gone to churches and knocked on doors and said, would you move out so we can move in? And uh, or other buildings, I mean, we looked at buffet restaurants and I mean, all kind of stuff. So, but outside of that, we have not been compelled to look outside of it until this conversation came to us. So, but it's a good thought. I'm going to pray for us in a minute. Let me tell you a couple things that I suspect. Uh, I suspect that a bunch of you have a lot of wonderful thoughts. You're organizing them right now. The little Rolodex in your, mind, in your brain is going, and you're putting them out, but you, you don't respond that quickly, and you certainly wouldn't in a room like this. So let me invite you to, uh, to give a phone call or to send an email or to grab a coffee with someone, any of the elders. They've been engaged in these conversations, honestly, to a wonderful extent. It's been a huge blessing. So ask them, staff. I'd love to talk with you. So please feel free to ask. And then secondarily, just a reminder, um, don't worry, don't fret, but pray. I mean, I think, I think the last uh, thing that I'd want to do is to be praying fearful prayers as though we've lost everything. The church is not a building or a place, it's us, right? And God's been super kind to us, so 
I mean, don't, uh, don't get stuck. I think don't get stuck praying protection-y kind of prayers. God, just keep us exactly what, you know, that kind of thing. I think just to pray with an openness to say, God, lead us. Let's be most effective possible uh, for, for the kingdom. All right, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift that it is to be together, to be in Christ, to have brothers and sisters. I pray for all of these concerns. You know them. I'm asking you as a, as a father, saying, Abba, as kids, you know our desires, like a Christmas list. I would love a wonderful, comfortable place to worship, somewhere to put roots down deep. Pray for great classrooms for kids to be discipled, nurseries that are spacious and we can invite newcomers in easily. God, you know our desires for these kind of things, so we give them to you, but we don't demand them. We're not shaking our fists and we we ask that you would sovereignly, graciously show us um, your way forward. Help us to be patient, to not be discontent, any temptation toward that. We pray you'd kill that in us and replace it with faith. Thank you for your church. Uh, we, we trust you. We know you're leading in Jesus' name. Amen.